things, I don't know, uh, makes the worship a little more holy or sacred. I don't know. Especially uh, Latin, right? That wasn't that. Yeah, especially it was. Yeah, so. But anyways, uh, so thank you for that. Um, a couple of announcements before we uh, move on um, and, and look at God's Word. First is our Grow 201 class. That's our Bible class, uh, how to study it, uh, what's in it. Um, I'm sure everyone here um, has a desire to study God's Word. So uh, if you do, um, please sign up, either out there in the patio or online. Uh, and it starts September 9th, and there's four uh, sessions for that. And next week, um, as you know, we are, as a church, going on to a retreat, all-church retreat. But I know a lot of you cannot make it for various reasons, and hopefully you will come here and worship here. Uh, and there will be a quite a few that will be here. But to accommodate everything, we are going to change a couple of things about next week. First, we're not going to have an 8 o'clock service. Um, I'm sure it doesn't apply to most of you because you don't come to the 8 o'clock service, but if you just wanted to come 8 o'clock next week, don't do it next week. Come the week after, okay? So no 8 o'clock service. Uh, second big thing is if you have families here at this service, we are not going to have a CE uh, ministry going on at the 11.30 service. The CE ministry will only be at 9.30 uh, a.m. So those are the uh, two things just... A little side, there is no morning prayer. <laughs> but anyway, so that's there. And we'll have a guest speaker here that will come and, and speak. Let's go to uh, chapter um, 16 of the book of Acts as we continue our series in the book of Acts. After you find it, kind of leave it there. Uh, you know, stories are, are fun, uh, especially uh, this summer. Uh, I know a lot of you have, were on vacation or want to take trips. And Right now, because of social media, everyone kind of knows uh, what everyone else is doing, uh, especially vacation. Uh, if, you are, if you have a family uh, and you go on vacation, everyone in your uh, Facebook or something else, they'll know what you guys did. Uh, I know my wife does that. Uh, whenever we go on, on, on a trip, uh, especially the road trip we took a couple of uh, years ago, every single place that we stop, you see all the smiley faces. Okay? You don't see all the, oh, I'm so tired, faces in the middle of the, the road trip. But every single place that we went and the activities that we went, it, create, it was a fun. And she wanted to create a fun, exciting story for everyone else to kind of see. And that's what we do with, with, the, with this. I mean, we try to create stories that are fun. And, and I'm wondering, what kind of story would Paul tell if he had social media back in those days and he wanted to tell about his road trip or his second missionary journey? He had a great one, the first one. He planted churches. It was very encouraging. But the second missionary trip started off a little rocky. Uh, Last week, we learned that there was a disagreement between um, the two great giants of faith, Barnabas and Paul, and they couldn't reconcile, so they actually went separate ways. Paul taking John Mark to Cyprus. And then Paul picking up Silas and a couple of other companions on the way, Timothy and eventually Luke, the author of Acts, and he takes that journey. And you would think if he had a social media page that he would take a picture before with this, you know, where, where, you know, where we, maybe a Bible in one hand says, we're going to go and preach the gospel. And, and then in the middle, as he was moving, and if you see the map up there, uh, there the movement is from the, book of, from the city of Antioch. And he is going west. Uh, he's going to go west. And he's thinking that as he goes west on the second missionary trip, he's going to start preaching God's word. Uh, he's going to 
get converts. They're going to be rejoicing. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be awesome for God. So that's what he's thinking as he's going. I know he had a rocky start at the very beginning, but he's thinking, I'm going to go strengthen. And that's what actually happened. As he went through going west, he visited his old churches that he planted on his first missionary trip, and he was just encouraging them. And it says there that he, these churches were strengthened. And then so after he left, he wanted to preach the word in Asia, Asia Minor. And this place was a barren land. There's a lot of open territory. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to reach his unreached people, right? I mean, it's, it's an exciting story of, of a missionary trip. And you would think that God would be all for it, that God would applaud Paul for doing this, Paul and Silas, that God would say, yeah, I'm going to give you the power to go and preach to these lost people. But so let's take a look at verse 6 here. And it says, as they went through the region of Pythia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. That's, you know, when you, when you just read that, you have to kind of pause here. Because Paul this missionary to the Gentiles, God commissioned him to go and preach to where the gospel hasn't gone before. And yet, he wants to do this. He wants to go to this big land, piece of land. Yet, it says that the Holy Spirit stopped him. It said the Spirit of Jesus did not allow Paul to go to these places and preach God's word. That's why you don't hear one story of conversion in this trek towards the West. Miles and miles and days and days as they were walking, not one convert is mentioned. Not one time was Paul, quote, allowed to preach. All we see is a, is a, a glimpse. God stopped them. And he led them through the edge of the sea or the, the coast area. And what God did and the Holy Spirit did was close the door. Now, you would understand if Paul had a different um, ulterior motive. You would understand if Paul's heart wasn't right. You would understand if Paul didn't have the correct gospel, if he was preaching something else and that God would stop him. But none of that was true. Paul had the gospel. If anyone had the gospel, he had it. Paul had the good... good um, Motivation. He had the right heart. He didn't want to just go and kick back in this, in this uh, nice place. No, he wanted to go into the desert area, and he wanted to go and preach the gospel to those who've never heard. That's what he wanted to do. Yet God closed the door on him. Now, before we move on, I want to briefly kind of stop here and talk about what it means for God to close doors. Because I don't know if you've experienced it, um, but... At one point in life, God is going to close some doors, and you're not going to understand why. And it's at this moment you have to kind of take a look at this verse and see what it means for God to close a door. Now, we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit did that. We don't know if he did it supernaturally. Uh, we also, maybe he did it just natural. Maybe, uh, you know, they picked up Luke at the very end, 
And it's possible that uh, Paul was sick or somebody was sick, so they couldn't go and move, and that's why they needed uh, Luke, the physician, the doctor, to kind of look. Uh, maybe it was the, the government or the leaders in, the, in that region that didn't allow them. We don't really know exactly what it is, but we do know for sure that it was a closed door. And when we think about this, we have to first understand that closed doors are not what Satan does, but a lot of times closed doors are what God does in the big picture. Yes, Satan might be an instrument, another person might be an instrument of that closed door, but God is still in control of all of these things. God is in control of any door that closes and opens. So when God closes the door, yeah, you can blame people here and there, you can blame the circumstances, but it's ultimately God that's saying no. And you got to think of it as God's guidance rather than God saying no because you're back. No, it's, he is guiding you. He wants you to lead you some, in, in a different direction. So even if it's a no, even if it's a negative, even though you feel dejected because you want to go and do something for God and that door is just not opening, you got to come to the realization that God is still in control of all things and that maybe that closed door is, there's a reason why behind that closed door. Because not every opportunity is an open door. Not everything that you think is open is an opportunity for you to walk through. The opportunity for Paul to preach the gospel, in my opinion, it was, it was just wide open. There was a huge opportunity. He had the backing of the church. They sent him there. Yet God says, no, I don't want you to do it at this time. But another thing that we have to understand is that closed doors are not like, you know, God's going to go and lock the door and throw away the keys and you can never go through it. Because if you read the, the second journey, what you eventually see is that Paul makes his trip eastward, then he goes to uh, Macedonia, which is Europe, then he comes around, and eventually on his second missionary trip, he goes to Ephesus, which is minor Asia. It took him a while of what he wanted to do, but God said, you know what, and even though I'm closing the door right now, doesn't mean that it's completely closed. You might come back around and preach the word in minor Asia and create a church like Ephesians. So not every closed doors stay closed. Also, don't think that just hardship is closed door too. Oh, it's going to be too hard. To, oh, I see. God doesn't want me to go through it. No, sometimes the hardships and the closed door, it creates open doors. When, when, when things get bad, I see other things. And that's kind of what happened. They were probably confused here. They were saying, why isn't God wanting me to preach God's word? And it's that very next verse in verse 9. It says, after he said they went down to Therese, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia and concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, that closed door that Paul saw, that Paul and his companions saw, that he, maybe he didn't really understand, because he closed it. I know it's kind of cliche to say this, but whenever God closes the door, he'll open up another one. You're not enclosed in this little space where all the doors are closed and you can't get out. You can't get out to preach God's word. No, when God closes that door, he'll open another door so that you can go and preach his word to people who are lost. And that's what happened here in a supernatural way. 
God gave him a vision of a man in Macedonia and says, hey, Paul and Silas and you guys over there that watch, we need you. We need you to come over the sea, come into the land of Europe, because we need the gospel here. And it says immediately they went to it, concluding that God had called us to preach. They got it. This word concluding means putting the pieces together. These all these puzzles and question marks. What is this? Why is God doing this? And when they received this vision, they put it all together. Now I see why he didn't want us to be here right now. And I'm sure later on when they actually preached the word in Minor Asia, another thing clicked and says, I got it. I got it, God. I see what you're doing. You weren't actually closing a door to preaching the word. You were just opening it up so I can preach it to somewhere else because that's what they need me here. Maybe later on, this place that I'm here right now, they'll need me then. But for right now, the place to preach the word of God is going to be in Macedonia. And so that's what God did. And they got it. And I'm sure at this time, they were overjoyed. You know, it's one of those things when, when it clicks and you're, all, you're sure what God wants us to do. There's no more confusion. There's no like, why, God, are you doing this? But it's that point where I get it, God. I see your big picture. And I thank you for you know, putting myself, putting us in this place where it can be used by you. So I'm sure they were overjoyed. <coughs> and they sailed past the sea, reached Macedonia, and they, call, they get to a place called uh, Philippi. I'll say Philippi. Um, first, uh, first service, um, I said Philippi, because I know you laugh, but that's, I thought it was Philippi for the longest time, but then I, you know those audiobooks, audio Bible, and I clicked on that, and it says Philippi, what? And so I clicked on it again, that's what they said, so I said it in first service, Pastor C. Kevin, no, you're wrong, it's Philippi. <laughs> and then my wife came and says, you know, I think you said that wrong, I think it's Philippi. And then my son <laughs> and came up and said, yeah, dad, you're wrong, okay, change that. Whether it's Philippi or Philippi, just know that that's where they went. Okay, but I'll use Philippi so that you guys are not saying, you guys won't come to me later and say, no, you're wrong, it's Philippi. But anyway, so they go to Philippi, and you would think that this would be an exciting time, that Paul would see all these men of Macedonia come and says, Paul, Silas, we need you, we, we need your help, because that's the vision that he got, and that's what he was expecting. But that's not what he got. Once again, there's a question mark, what is God doing here? So let's go to verse 11. <coughs> Let's skip a few of these um, places because I don't know how to pronounce them. So I'm going to go to verse 12. Okay, and from there to Philippi, okay, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, we remain in the city someday. So they can't come to the city. There is no welcoming. We need the gospel banner. Uh, there's no men coming and, and saying, no, they just went there. They spent some time there. And then on the Sabbath day, that's when Paul was ready, because that's what he would normally do. That's what his strategy was. Go to the synagogue first, whether it's a temple or whether it's a group of men gathering together. Let me go there. They already have opened up their books, the Bible, the Old Testament. I can go there. I can preach and tell them that, not that they're wrong, but they just haven't read it clearly, that Jesus is there. So that's what he normally would do. So on that Sabbath day, he went out looking for a synagogue, not a temple so much, but a synagogue. And in the Jewish law, you basically you need 10 men. You need 10 men of Jewish faith to gather together on that Saturday to have an open up. And, and that itself 
was then you can call it a synagogue. But if you didn't have 10 men, you could not call that a synagogue. That's just the rule in Judaism. So he goes out looking for the synagogue, and what does he find? Nothing. Now, once again, think of Paul here. Who appeared? It was a man that appeared. But yet when he goes there, there's no men of the Jewish faith. There's no place for him to expose God's word to these men. So Paul's like, what's going on here? So then he goes and went outside the gate to the riverside, or side of the river, where we suppose that there was a place of prayer. So they figured outside, there must, have been, there, there must be some people gathering here, praying. Uh, place where, and then we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So instead of the men, the official synagogue, what he finds is women gathering together to pray. Now, you may think, well, that's good, right? But back in that day, to have women pray, that, that was a good thing, but it wasn't something official. It was just people gathering together to express. It wasn't something official that he could stand and show his authority, but it didn't matter for him. He just wanted to preach, and he's just, he just obeying. When God closes the door and he opens another one, he doesn't say, why, God, did you close this door? He goes and obeys and goes through that open door. He was expecting something else, but this is what God gave him, so he obeys. And he stands before the women, and he starts preaching God's word. And he does this, and in verse 14, in this group of women, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Tithria, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Okay, so there was a woman in that group that wasn't a Jewish person. She was a worshiper of God, and that's a description of a person, a Gentile, who is either converted or is interested in the Jewish faith and sees some merit to what, what um, the Jewish faith was. And so she was there worshiping, uh, she was there with the women praying. And this is a person that God chooses. This is a person, as we read next, says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. This is the person that God chose. Must have been a shock to Paul that this is a person. And the way God did it was the Lord opened our heart. It doesn't say anything about, she said, yes, I accept. Didn't say anything about coming to the altar. It just says the Lord opened our heart. And when that happened, it's assumed that she is saved. It's assumed that she believed. You know, one of the... um, the, this book is called the Book of Acts, right? And it's called, if you, the full name is the Book of Acts of the Apostles. So it goes through what the apostles is, the Acts of the Apostles. But some commentators have mentioned, and I kind of agree with him, that maybe that's not the correct description of this book. I think the better description of the book is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Look at this. The Lord opened her heart. It's the Holy Spirit that blocked, blocked, blocked. Now it's the Holy Spirit that opens the heart of this woman called Lydia. It is the Holy Spirit that acts upon a person's heart. I'm sure that she received. I'm sure she said yes. I'm sure she said and had faith. I'm sure all of these things happened. But the description that Luke wants us to 
read and see is that it was God who initiated the act. It is God who opened the heart. It is God who regenerated. It was him that did all the acting. And Lydia received it. It is the act of the Holy Spirit. That's the supernatural act that happened here. In verse 13, right after this, after she was baptized, assume that she, in between somewhere, 12B maybe, she accepted. 13, she gets baptized and her household as well. And can see the change in her life as she invites them to stay with her in her home. So uh, Lydia, uh, a Gentile who comes to the Jewish faith, now comes to Christ, uh, a wealthy businesswoman, uh, a person who is well-known, has influence, wealthy. This is a person that God chose. So that was the first convert in uh, Philippi. Second is this girl that we don't even know the name of, this teenage girl, this slave teenage girl that's demon-possessed, that is in bondage not only to Satan and the demons, but is also in bondage to the masters who would use her to gain money. She would, they would prop her up, and they would invite the people to come and say, hey, for a few bucks, she will tell your fortunes. And they were making big bucks with, with, with what, she, what they were doing. But this poor girl was there, probably not in control of anything that she was doing because she was demon-possessed. And then as Paul, it says here, Paul, as they were walking in that same place in the prayer by the river, all of a sudden, this demon-possessed girl stands up and yells at Paul, Silas, and his companion. And she's yelling probably at the top of her uh, lungs, saying this in verse 17, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. It's, it's a true thing that, they, that what she said. And she was just yelling, making a huge scene. And I'm sure the first time this happened, Paul's saying, oh, that's good, and then probably walked away. But look at what verse 18 says, and this she kept doing for many days. So every time Paul would go out, she would stand up, see Paul and his companions go up and start yelling and saying, these men are servants of the Most High. And it's almost comical what happens next, where Paul says, Paul, having become greatly annoyed by these teenage girls yelling at him, even though it might be true, it's just the noise, maybe just the, the scene that she was creating, said, I, enough of this. I'm done with you yelling at me. And this is what he did. He turned to the girl and said to the spirit that was in the girl, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Done. (laughs) She was in slavery to both these men who were using her and to a demon for I don't know how many years. Paul comes and says a few words, I command you, get out. And she's free. She's calm. She's not a slave anymore. Just those few words. So we have this contrast. Lydia and now the slave girl. Second one who has been delivered. There's one more conversion. Because this caused a great upheaval in that, in that town. And these merchants were angry that they took, uh, Paul took business away, so they, they lied, and, and they conspired, they beat him up, and they put him in jail. And this is the next scene for where 
Paul witnesses to uh, this jailer who was probably a retired Roman soldier uh, you know, running maybe a business uh, you know, in a prison. He would have his house on top, and the jail would be on the bottom. And so Paul and Silas would be in, was in that jail, in that prison, and he was in charge of them. So if they escaped, then he would be punished for their crime, or he would be punished because they let him away. And that one night, while Paul and Silas, there was a great earthquake. There's a great earthquake, things shook, and all of it, and he knew exactly what was going on. This jailer said, oh my goodness, there's an earthquake, things are going to break. I'm positive that the gates are going to be open. And these people who are in prison, they're going to run away. And all of this is going to come upon me, where he got so discouraged that he was going to kill himself because he's lost everything. And then he goes down, and what does he see? He sees Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas told the other prisoners that went there, don't leave. Don't leave, stay. Trust me, stay. And this jailer sees these people in prison while they could have fled. And he says those famous words, Sir, what must, must I do to be saved? It wasn't Paul's preaching so much that led him this way, but it was actually Paul's character. Paul and Silas, they were actually singing in prison. And this jailer was thinking, what, what are they doing singing? They're in prison. They shouldn't be singing. They should be complaining. And then this gates opened and, quote, an open door for Paul and Silas. They could have ran away to freedom, preached gospel. No, no, the open door was not the open door that they saw in front of them. The open door was the opportunity for them to witness to this jailer. That was the open door, and he took it. He didn't take the obvious open door of going away, but he knew that there was an opportunity for him to preach God's word to this jailer. And before he even said one word, because of what Paul and Silas did in singing and not leaving, not escaping, this jailer said, sir, what must I do to be saved? He didn't even know. He, don't, he wasn't a, a Jewish person. He didn't know anything about salvation, really. But he saw something in these men that was different. And he wanted that. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And then Paul simply said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That was it. And his whole household, he gathered them together and he didn't had another Bible study. And his whole household was saved. And it says here, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So this is a church in Philippi. You got Lydia, the businesswoman, a woman of influence, okay, wealthy. Then you got this slave girl, demon-possessed, teenager, and then you have this jailer, a Roman soldier, a former Roman soldier, who was in charge of keeping people in prison, whether they deserved it or not. A middle-class guy, who probably just a common worker. These are the three he picked. Think about it. Paul, when he went into Philippi, he was thinking, all these, all these men are going to come and ask me for help. And God says, no, let's have this Lydia person, 
let's have this girl and let's have this jailer. Completely opposite from what he thought. You know, back in over there, not, I mean, obviously not today, but the head of the household, uh, the common thing, common prayer for head of the household back in that day, for if you were a Jewish uh, person, was that they would, they would uh, wake up in the morning and they would say, I thank you, God, that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Now, it sounds bad right now, but in that context, that's what they would say. And then what does God do? And it's just a weird way that he does this. He goes to the church of Philippi, and those are the three that he converts. Paul had no intention of probably going to these three and witnessing and having them be part of the faith. But yet, Paul, God saying, Paul, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring a person from here way to the left. I'm going to bring a person way to the right. I'm going to bring a person right in the middle with experience that none of them can understand. A life experience, a past. Lydia could not understand the slave girl. The slave girl cannot understand. They can't understand the jailer. They don't understand each other's life. But yet, God says, this is the church. Jonathan Edward called this the surprising conversion stories. This is what God does. God doesn't play favorites. God doesn't say, ah, oh, you know, you're rich. You can donate to the church. So I want to have you in the church. You know, we need some leaders, so we're going to choose people who have these talents, and I'm going to just put you guys in the church. People who have, you know, compassion. Those are the people that I want in, this, in the church. So he's going to, God's going to only convert these compassionate people and bring them here. But we sit in a room with people of different age, a different past, and maybe different circumstances even at this moment. Some are doing well. Some are struggling financially. Some are outgoing. Some are shy as as you can be. That You look at somebody across the room and says, there's no way I would be friends with that person if it wasn't for church. I have nothing in common with them. They live in a different world than I do. Yet God says, no, no, no. I take you from here, 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 here. And this is church. And I would have loved to be in that first church meeting in Philippi, just to be, you know, fly on the wall and see what they would do with Lydia, with the slave girl. We don't even know the name of this person and this jailer coming together and the families coming together worshiping God have nothing absolutely nothing in common. Their stories are so different from one another. But yet, there is one story that's common to all. Their life story, their past was here, but yet the story that happened in their heart was all the same. They can come together and say that Jesus Christ is my Savior. It's my Deliverer. He is my Lord. That's what they brought them together. That's what would cause them to love each other. That's what would cause them to go and witness. Because later on, it was a church, the book of Philippians, 
the church in Philippi that sent the letter or that Paul sent the letter to. It wasn't them three anymore. It was a growing church, and it started with those three. God closed these doors, Paul. Yet he opened a, a, a wide door, and even then, God was doing something odd for Paul, I'm sure. But in the end, what God was saying, the gospel is for all. And isn't that what the book of Acts is? That the gospel goes to the ends of the earth, and then it reaches people like us, as we sit here, that we can claim together that the story that's in our hearts is the same. And it's that simple story. I was a sinner, hopeless. Yet God came and saved me. Now I am a child of God. That's the story that we all have. That's the story that you and I can confess to one another and to God. That's the story that we can all sing as a church. And that's the story that you can share with others who may not have this story. That you can go to the lost, whether it's way over there, whether it's right next to you, whether it's in your home, work, and you can tell and share this story to them. That we're sinners, yet God, out of his infinite love, came and loved, lived, loved, and died for us. And now I'm redeemed as a child of God. For those who are here and say, you know, that's actually not my story. It's, you know, it's not my story. But here, you can be. You can be. All you need to confess is what this jailer said. Sir, what must I do to be saved? And hear the words of Paul for those here that do not have the story. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Yes, it's as simple as that. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And then that becomes your heart story. So let's take this story that we have and take it to those people that are in need as God opens these doors. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, um, we come here with, with a different past. Some have a little more age in them and have more experience in life. Some are younger, and they look forward to all the things that they're going to experience. And we'll all have, you know, stories that are unique to ourselves, Lord, because we are all unique. But yet, Lord, as we sit in this room, as we sing, as we listen, as we pray, we do have the same story in our hearts that we were wretched sinners. Yet, even though we were enemies of you, yet God demonstrates his love towards us by coming, by living, by dying, paying the penalty for our sins, now giving us a right to be a child of God. Lord, I pray that that may be everyone's story in this room. And I pray that we can share that story with others as you call us, as you open doors. We thank you, Lord, and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.